0: Support for Switched On Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must experience new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic. Written by David Adjmi, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year. And Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com fox. Welcome to Switched On Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. And I'm musicologist
1: Nate Sloan. Nate, your voice sounds a little funny.
0: Yeah, I had a a late one, Chuck. Were you up till midnight? I was up till midnight and then some. Yeah, me too. Taylor Swift's 10th studio album, Midnight's. It dropped last night at midnight. You actually have West Coast Privilege. It comes out at 9 p.m. on Thursday nights. I do have WCP,
1: that's true. and we we were not alone i, I imagine half of the world was
0: staying up late to listen to this album drop and it's appropriate that we might all be tired because midnight's is all about the things that happen in the wee hours of the night
2: i have this thing where i get older but just never wiser midnights become my afternoons
0: that's the first single off the album anti-hero. It's about those paranoid, self-catastrophizing moments that you have late at night. (laughs) All of the things are going wrong and the anxiety is at its peak.
1: An Insomniac's
0: anthem. And it really fits the theme of this record that she calls a collection of music written in the middle of the night, A Journey Through Terror and Sweet Dreams. This album has 13 songs, 13 sleepless nights. 13 is, of course, her lucky number in the Taylor Swift lore. Hmm. And it's being framed as a concept record, but I think it instead is just a continuation of her musical world building. Taylor's really great at crafting these framing devices for fan engagement. Hmm. And she's been doing it for a long time. Like arguably, even albums like Speak Now and Fearless, they had themes that really brought them together. Right. But she takes this idea of world building around albums and runs with it. Reputation was a turn to the dark side. Lover, a return back to the light. Right, And she had her much awarded pair of albums, Folklore and Evermore, that were sort of an acoustic journey made up of fictional characters. And now Midnight's kind of blurs the fictional and the personal just like a dream. And so today I want to listen to Midnight's and understand how she crafts this world, both through its lyrics and its sonics. Charlie, I feel like this
1: is an opportunity for us to push ourselves a little. I feel like you and I are very music forward listeners, you know, like we... We can't remember lyrics. That's like not our thing. (laughs) We can remember intervals and seventh chords, but like a song title, nearly impossible. Let's challenge ourselves to focus on the lyrics of Midnight's and see how that might open up this album in a new way.
0: Great. I've been keeping a running list of all of the nighttime little lyrical illusions that she uses that help craft this Midnight's world. Nice. It's actually not hard to find them. The album starts with a Midnight reference in the opening song, Lavender Haze.
1: She's not being subtle about this Midnight theme. When you said this was a concept album, I was like, really? Does anyone make concept albums anymore? Now I'm... Being persuaded that this might actually be a genuine one.
0: Well, I did say earlier, I don't think it's necessarily a concept album as much as it's like a collection of songs that she's building a world around. That sounds like a
1: concept album. Actually, Chuck, we could use a romantic term. And by that, I mean like capital R, like (laughs) 19th century German aesthetics, romanticism. They would call that a song cycle.
0: Oh, a song cycle. How about that song?
1: Like Schubert's,
0: like Schubert's Winterreise or Schumann's Dichterliebe. Taylor Swift's Midnights. I feel like in a concept album, the songs should have an interwoven narrative. These songs don't have that. There you go. But they do all exist in the same thematic world. She uses her lyrics to play with the things that happen late at night, going out, dancing, maybe even a welcome back to New York kind of feel, if you will. That's maroon, mm. and we are slow dancing in a mirror-balled room late at night in New York City. Right, and very
1: self-referential. Yeah i know we're not supposed to talk about music but there's a killer one note melody here too oh okay, we're gonna get there we're gonna get
0: there okay okay slow onward, down onward, onward. Slow lyrics, lyrics down
1: first. lyrics first there are love are lyrics. lots
0: of great love words nighttime mm-hmm. lyrics Text. so texty so textual how about the song question
2: did you leave a house in the middle of the night did you wish you'd put up more of a fight oh
0: feels like a throwback high school escaping your bedroom window and crawling out the fire escape which must have been very challenging for you growing up in New York City because I think you were many 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 floors up in a building
1: yeah no one was throwing pebbles uh, at at my window on the 19th floor but (laughs) but a boy but a boy can dream and he can listen to Taylor Swift
0: speaking of dreams she loves to go into the world of almost like lullaby quality Uh, I really enjoyed this song sweet nothing Which has a nice allusion to those sleepy times. And I'm a sucker for a Wurlitzer.
2: I spy with my little tired eye, tiny as a firefly, a pebble that we picked up last July. Down
0: deep in the She's picking up that pebble that wasn't thrown for you, Nate, with sleepy, tired eyes, and getting to fall asleep while looking up at the night sky and dreaming about space.
2: This scene feels like what i once saw on a screen i searched for aurora borealis queen i've never seen
0: someone we go off into the aurora borealis and then all the way into the stars and distant planets
2: once upon a time
1: that's really cool it's like planetarium
0: pop <laughs> I feel like that needs a laser show
1: it
2: totally is
0: <laughs> but it's not just the lyrics it's also the way that she delivers them ah uh, okay thank goodness yeah like if we go back to Lavender Hayes check out the way that she sings the chorus Says that she got this lyric lavender haze from the script of the tv show mad men
2: look at you you're in the lavender haze
0: but it's also widely known to be a strain of cannabis and she sings this lavender haze lyric mm. in the highest register of her head voice that's like lost in smoke and surreal and lost at night
1: At the same time it's also a section of this album that sounds to me like taylor swift reflecting back the sound of pop music and how it's changed like when i listen to that chorus it sounds like it could be a top 40 hook the way she's pressing her voice up there and then kind of warping it in the post-chorus mm. It's like she's doing her own thing, but she's also showing, hey, I know what's, I know what's popular, I know it's hip. I can, I
0: can channel that as well. She does, and that's part of what makes her stand out as a songwriter in her generation of pop stars. So many people have retired to become business moguls to run fashion brands to mm-hmm. expand into other lines, and she has really doubled down on songwriting. Yeah.
1: I mean, she was in Cats, but point taken. We won't talk. We're not talking (laughs) about Cats. It's a good
0: thing Rihanna's not on this because we know Rihanna is a cat stan. Okay, sorry. Shouldn't, Shouldn't have even brought it up. Yes, she has done lots of other things. Absolutely. She has plenty of merch, but songwriting is her thing, right? Right. She goes on NPR Tiny Desk to show off, look, I am a songwriter. And just recently, in September 2022, she accepted the Songwriter Artist of the Decade Award from the Nashville Songwriters Association International. And this is what she said in her acceptance speech about songwriting.
2: Writing songs is my life's work and my hobby
3: and my never-ending thrill. I am moved beyond words that you, my peers, decided to honor me in this way for this work that I would still be doing if I'd never been recognized for it.
1: It's striking to hear her say that songwriting is her life's work and her never-ending thrill, I've always suspected that's how she felt about the, the work, the labor, the art of mm. songwriting. This particular part of the craft of being a musician is really important to her.
0: Yeah, you actually wrote an academic article about Taylor Swift and the labor of songwriting. I'm curious about the ways that you hear her songwriting craft coming through on Midnights. Right. I was inspired to write that article for the
1: Contemporary Music Review Journal because I feel like there's no shortage of ink spilled on Taylor Swift and yet I was surprised that I could only find like a handful of articles that actually tried to understand the process of her songwriting and the meaning that songwriting played in her in her work and her life. Yeah. So I was like I want to I want to investigate this and it was very illuminating both to start to uncover like some of the tricks some of the devices some of the processes that swift uses to make songs right and also un- understand that songwriting isn't just like a means to an end you know it's not just to create the products that that give her 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 career and her fame it's it, it's like something that she does for the the sake of it because songwriting creates this kind of safe place within a really cutthroat industry yeah and because Songwriting is a chance to work through your your yourself, your emotions, your thoughts. It's almost like a holy act, I think, to her.
0: Do you hear all of that happening anywhere in particular on
1: midnights? I think one place on the album I can really hear that coming to the fore is on the track Vigilante shit. Spoiler alert, there
0: is cursing on this record.
2: Well he was doing lines and crossing all of mine. Someone told us white collar crimes, to the FBI.
1: He was doing lines and crossing all of mine. That's a that's a nice kind of allusion of the of these two, you know, metaphors, one about doing drugs and one about like violating boundaries. It
0: feels like an almost R-rated Nashville country kind of song.
1: It reminds me of something that we talked about when we were doing our episode about Evermore, this use of something called the hinged figure, which is an important part of country music. You take an idea and then you like blur it into another. So you're talking about doing lines and all of a sudden you're talking about crossing them. That is a very Nashville move. I agree. Yeah. And then we get an internal rhyme, right? Someone told his white-collar crimes to the FBI. There's a lot of nice assonance there. You got that I I I I
0: over and over again. It's like studied to me. Totally. And even the line, I don't dress for villains or for innocence, the way she sings it, villains and innocence are rhyming. Those words don't rhyme.
2: And I don't dress for villains or for innocence. I'm a vigilante shit.
0: So she's building these images at the syllable level that feel like there's maybe a backstory here or maybe it's just a little vignette that she's making up for this little verse. Yeah. And I'm sure there are fans guessing at everyone who this might actually be referencing and where the biographical elements reside. But in the wordplay, I feel like we also experience all of the fictional creative world building that she's doing
1: either way this is the type of song that challenges you to recognize taylor swift as a songwriter as someone who's able to invent to create like that's that's an important right to have as an artist and not to have your work diminished not to be something that's just directly channeled from your emotional world onto the page like that's Mm -hmm.
0: that's a very diminishing kind of uh attitude, I think. She even discusses the craft of her songwriting and that acceptance speech that she gave and gives away some of her secrets. She says that she writes three different kinds of songs and categorizes them in this, in her own words, sort of dorky way. She has what she calls her quill pen songs, her fountain pen songs, and her glitter pen songs. And they each embody a different kind of idea. The quill pen is very serious when she's thinking about films or or she's quoting someone like Emily Dickinson, the fountain pens are the very personal that often have those turns of phrase that flip their meaning, just like we heard in vigilante shit. Mm. And then glitter pen songs are frivolous and carefree and the fun things that we just need in our life because we need pop music as a release. As someone who
1: spent two years writing an entire article about Taylor Swift songwriting, you can imagine I was <laughs> pretty geeked when she dropped this uh, extended pen <laughs> metaphor. And I've definitely been going through her back catalog thinking about, okay, is this this a glitter pen moment or is this a quill pen (laughs) moment? But I'm curious if you've found those different pens at work on Midnights.
0: On this record, I kind of envision her as like in front of her moleskin and she's got all three pens going at the same time. And you can hear lyrics interwoven between your quill, fountain, and glitter qualities. So if you take a song like antihero for example mm. you have these lyrics which feel important and poetic and very on the nose with their rhyme schemes for me maybe a quill pen quality
2: i should not be led to my own devices they come with and vices i end up in
0: you know she even says tale as old as time it's yeah. like this is with my quill pen
1: yeah, there's something very consciously poetic about that particular passage.
0: And then within the same song, she'll go total glitter gel pen on us and say the most ridiculous lines.
2: Sometimes I feel like everybody is a sexy baby And I'm a monster on the hill
1: Okay. Amazing. It's a big line. Maybe the best quatrain on the
0: album, in my opinion. <laughs> so... Sexy Baby is a reference to the TV show 30 Rock. I'm a very sexy baby. I can't help it if men are attracted to me. I remember that episode. And then she talks about being a monster on a hill that can't be killed, even when you shoot it through the heart. And I don't know, this felt to me like the hill reference, monster reference, like, have you been watching Stranger Things and listening to Kate Bush? Like, are you doing a double reference to pop culture moments? I couldn't say, Chuck, but that does strike me as another quill
1: pen moment, right? Pierced through the heart. That's got a nice kind of Edgar Allan Poe vibe to it. She's mixing the pens up in the same stanza. So
0: where do we find the fountain pen? Fountain pens being the sort of more modern storylines that use interesting turns of phrase. I think we hear it in the chorus.
2: It's me.
1: Sometimes you're moved by something, not just because of the emotion that it's conveying, but just because of the kind of perfection with which it's crafted. Hmm. This chorus is that to me. I don't know that I, I, I'm i certainly moved by the sentiment of it. You know, this the kind of vulnerability of it.
0: Self-sabotaging.
1: But just the way it's like so beautifully put together, the way it kind of trails on on this like run-on
2: sentence.
1: That's like buoyed by the music kind of pushing it forward and then reaches this climax which leads you into this instrumental break where you sort of like contemplate everything that you've just dropped in this awkward way. It's just... (laughs) Chef's kiss.
0: I think it's a fountain pen because it begins with this sort of contemporary colloquialism. It's like, hey, it's me. I'm the problem. And then she has this great turn of phrase where I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. It must be exhausting, always rooting for the antihero. There's a lot of imagery packed into that one little moment, staring at the sun, which is very damaging to your eyes. You should not do that. But never in the mirror, never self-reflecting. Mm. It's like she took something that was very flippant, hey, it's me, and then made it something that kind of punches you in the gut. Yeah. There's a, a real truth bomb about not acknowledging your own stuff, being your own problem.
1: Fountain pen, glitter gel pen, quill pen—it's all there. An antihero, very nice, Chuck.
0: You know what makes Midnight's a cohesive project is, of course, the marrying of lyrics and sound. And in the second half, we're gonna explore the sonic landscape of Midnight's. Finally. Support for Switched on Pop comes from Stereophonic. Broadway's must experience new play. If you're anything like us, you're obsessed with music. Not just listening to it, but everything behind the scenes as well. What makes a good band? What makes a great song? And what does it take to make it big? All of these questions and more are explored in the remarkable new Broadway play, Stereophonic. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year, and Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Written by David Adjmi, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the story follows an up-and-coming 1970s rock band as they gather in a California music studio to record a brand new album, but it's a bumpy ride that threatens to tear the band apart. You may find yourself being reminded of the famous recording processes for legendary bands like Led Zeppelin, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and Fleetwood Mac. So get your tickets now and see Stereophonic live on Broadway this spring. Visit stereophonicplay.com Vox for more info. I have to admit, when I first heard Midnight's, I was kind of confused. Because I really enjoyed the folklore evermore era of Taylor Swift. I love the lean in to songwriting, the sort of acoustic nature of those albums, the experimental sounds and fragments that happen in the background, and in particular, the fictional characters that she invented in those albums. I thought, well, maybe we're going to go deeper into that more organic sounding thing for her next record. But no, this is a very electronic forward. Pop record. At first, I thought it feels like we're going back to 1989 or Reputation or Lover. But even though it's very electronic, it's also quite constrained, a little bit minimal, very measured. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the different soundscapes that we're hearing. Let's. Taylor made the record with her longtime producer friend, Jack Antonoff, who's a friend of the show. And you can hear all kinds of his retro synth sequences throughout the album, like in Bejeweled. Nice! Or in Mastermind. All of these retro synth sounds are supported by down tempo dance rhythms, like we heard on Lavender Haze. But if there's one through line on this record, it's that bass sound.
1: Wow, 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 wow. wow. Do you
0: know what that's called?
1: It's called a sludge thunder bass.
0: <laughs> it actually has a name. It's called a Reese bass. A Reese bass is
3: a synth bass sound that typically characterized as like a very low, seething, almost boiling bass patch that adds an air of discomfort to whatever it accompanies.
0: That's John Hall. He's a musician and educator at Soundfly, which teaches music production. Oh yeah, I like those guys. He taught me how to make one of these Reese bass sounds. Check it out. But of course, John Hall was not the originator of this dark, brooding sound.
3: The Reese bass was first created by Kevin Saunderson under the alias Reese in 1988 for his track Just One Another Chance. Oh, that is like the archetypal sound. However, Reese or Kevin Saunderson wasn't really recognized for it. It was actually a track from 1994 by the UK artist Renegade. He sampled Just One Another Chance for his track terrorist and that put the sound on the map from there it became sort of a quintessential element of the jungle and drum and bass sound or scene and um, from there you know another track where you might recognize the sound is in burials track Archangel
0: That re-space comes from techno, goes to drum and bass and UK Garage, and it has become a mainstay in pop music. It's not unusual to hear the re-space sound, but it is all over
2: Midnight's.
0: That was Question. You can hear that sludgy re-space also on the song Labyrinth. It's on Maroon. Hmm. Yeah, there it is. It's on Anti Hero that we heard earlier.
2: I am the problem, it's me.
0: Midnight Rain. Midnight. And a very glitter gel pen song about cats and karma called Karma. The guy it's on almost every song on this record except for some of the slower things and for me it connects the world of midnights into the dance genres that originated this sound it makes it feel like a later night kind of club track even though many of the beats are down tempo this is very illuminating charles thank you and
1: john hall for these insights because i was hearing that bass sound but i didn't know what to call it i wasn't even sure if i was like a little nuts for thinking (laughs) that it was throughout this album so you've you've made me feel a little saner which i appreciate can i throw out a perhaps obtuse analogy here of course have you seen the movie
0: dune uh the original starring the mayor from portlandia or the more recent one with that handsome skinny kid that everyone seems to like
1: Literally any version, including the books, because what I suggest is that respace is sort of equivalent to the sandworms in Dune. <laughs> Just check it out. It's under the surface. Mm. You almost don't really hear it clearly. You only see the sand moving yeah. and you get like sort of a a hint of what that creature, that sound might look like, might sound like. You get the sense that if you turn up your speakers to hear the bass more clearly, you still wouldn't really be able to. It's always a little bit out of reach something about the way the sound is 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 filtered or or sidechained. I don't know what it is, but you, you It's it's like it's untouchable it's unreachable it's all it's just beyond the point of apprehension
0: It's subterranean it's dark
1: I feel like that's an, a metaphor for many of the themes on this album of like up in the middle of the night, trying to catch a fragment of a dream you had, trying to recreate a half-lost memory, trying to grapple with something beyond your ken, Mm. that base that is like there but not there, Yeah, that kind of mirrors
0: that that kind of emotional state. What you're saying about the base being kind of this foundation for this discomforting, dark, dreamlike world that is Midnight's, I feel like we get that same feeling of disorientation, that quality of surrealness in the way that the voices on this record are processed. And it's there right from the very beginning, again, in Lavender Haze. We would hear those kinds of sounds throughout dance music. You even hear it in uh, John Hall brought up Burial's Archangel. Similarly, Taylor's vocals get really messed with, and they're disorienting. Pain,
1: he wanted a comfortable, I wanted that pain. He wanted a pride, was making my own name. make sure that's
0: Taylor Swift? You know I checked it. I sped it up and played with the formance on her voice.
2: Pain, he wanted a comfortable, I wanted that pain. He wanted a pride, I was making my own name. Chasing that pain.
0: Charles, this is a podcast, but the listeners should know I'm a gape. Your mouth may be a gape, but it sounds like Taylor Swift's jaw is on the floor and she has transformed into an alien being, maybe that monster running up a hill in the song Labyrinth. This part makes me wish that there were a slowdown version of the rest of the album it turns out if you go down four semitones with uh, Taylor Swift's voice, you get some really rich, gooey, beautiful sound.
1: Yeah, we've definitely heard her voice manipulated in the past, sure. but I, I never to this degree. I mean, it's it's really distorted and, and unrecognizable. Like, I, I wasn't sure if we were even listening to her. That feels like a new
0: depth of like vocal manipulation. It fits the world of Midnight's, right? I get that a late-night record is going to be synth-based. It is going to have these dark, eerie bass lines, the Reese bass. And like in a dream, when you can't quite hear the dialogue of what people are saying to you, the voices are kind of going in and out of different dimensions. I think when she brings these sounds together with the lyrics that we discussed earlier, she is crafting a new world, Midnights. And yet, of course, it is undeniably Taylor Swift. All of the qualities that you and I have identified over the years, her musical tropes, they're all throughout this record. You dropped one earlier One Note Melodies. One note melodies all the time, I hear them in Taylor Swift one note melodies. Just one <laughs> note again and again and again again. There's so many of them, but I'll just give you a few. Mastermind. I
2: told you none of it was in the first night that
0: you saw me, I knew. Very nice. Maroon has one. Word,
2: so when you, splashed, you, to and
0: like you start hearing them everywhere, but it's not just one note melodies. Nate, you know what we have here? A T-drop? We have new T-drops to add Can you do a musicological refresher on what the heck is the T-drop?
1: The T-drop is a melodic device that we encountered, especially like 1989 and earlier Taylor Swift. And it, it always looks like a descent of a minor second and then a descent of a third... Or sometimes a six. I think probably the iconic example comes in the chorus of You Belong With Me. It's right there on me. Me. That's like the archetypal teardrop. But we haven't heard them in a while. So I'm I'm excited that they're making a return.
0: I think I found three. We've got one on the song You're on Your Own, Kid.
2: Summer went away, still the yearning stays. I play it cool with the best of them. I wait
1: patiently. Best of them. them.
2: Okay, we're the best of friends.
1: Right? Best of them. T drop. Yeah, it's I think it, it actually drops a little lower, but and and any any drop that starts with the minor second and then descends qualifies as a T drop. So we're we're definitely counting it. All right, I got another one for you. It's
0: in the song Labyrinth. You
2: would break your back to make me break a smile.
1: There it is. Yo. Mm, wow this this is like warming my heart to hear these tea drops i love it Naya.
0: that is that is to me like the sound of taylor swift i think we've got one more a, a modified one if you will it's the end of the album actually the proper album there's bonus songs it's a whole thing but the the 13 original songs it's on mastermind
1: mastermind mastermind everybody mastermind Mastermind. it's like a gift that she gave the podcast man so so satisfying there's only one explanation well i mean she clearly she's been listening to the show reading our book Yep,
0: yep absolutely yeah your academic articles subscribing online
1: yeah and she's like i'm gonna give this i'm gonna give a little easter egg to all the switched on pop fans out there a tea drop and, and uh, what
0: more could we ask for? I think there might be one new Taylor Swiftism that I've identified. We've got the tea drop. I think we also might have a tea hop. Okay, okay. I'm,
1: I know, I know, look, I know. You're looking a little conspiratorial right now in a way that's freaking me out.
0: But yeah, tell, tell me about this. Check out the chorus of the song Midnight Rain.
1: I wanted that wanted a I was <laughs> my own
2: She's
1: the same. the same, same. But she goes up to... <coughs> yeah. The uh, same. Uh, we'll, we'll of kind of <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> mm. That's why Taylor does the, it, not Nate. The same. Like that. There you go. The same. Yeah, that thing. So that's an, that's an octave jump,
0: right? Yeah. So that's the T-hop? Does she do that in other places as well? When I heard Midnight Rain, I was like, that feels familiar. It was actually Rihanna who helped connect me to All You Had To Do Was... Stay
1: I think there are many more Taylor Swift songwriting mannerisms that we could pick up. Definitely. I'm going to investigate the T-hop. I don't like that name. <laughs> I'm just going to say that right now. You can try a new one. So go back to the workshop. Okay. But I, I am uh,
0: persuaded there might be something more there. So, so stay tuned. That's what does compel me about this record. I, on first listen, was like, oh, I don't know. It's kind of down tempo. There's no big over the top funky bass lines to get me dancing. It's all this thick reese bass. And then I listened to it again and again. And you have these constant hooks, these lyrical twists these mannerisms that are undeniably Taylor Swift, and these songs keep pulling me back. And that might be because they are built around a whole world, this world of midnights where she blends reality and fiction in this enticing way where I don't know if I'm awake or if I'm dreaming or if I just set my alarm clock to wake up in the middle hours of the night on a Friday to listen to a new Taylor Swift drop. And while I do draw a perverse thrill from staying up
1: all night and then having to record with this destroyed voice that you hear before you. Maybe Taylor could release your next album at like um two PM. How's that?
0: Yeah. Like on a
1: Wednesday. Afternoons. There's a there's a nice concept. Yeah. Lazy afternoons. Got that Taylor? Mid morning. Mid morning. luck <laughs> goes down in the mid morning, you know? Lunch. Thinking about lunch. Anyway, just just some free free ideas here from from
0: your friendly host at Switched on Pop. Switched on Pop is produced by Rihanna Cruz, edited by Jolie Myers, engineered by Brandon McFarland, Community management by Abby Barr, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, our executive producers are Hannah Rosen and Nishat Kerwa, and we're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network and a production of Vulture.
1: You can listen to more episodes of Switched on Pop anywhere you listen to podcasts, including whatever method you're using right now to listen to this podcast. You can find more of them. Uh, we also have our podcast website, podcast podcast. www.switchedonpop.com. Uh, there's a backslash somewhere in there, but I'll leave that for you to figure out. And uh, finally, I, I would be remiss not to mention that we are dying to take part in the the midnight's discourse. Uh, so find us on Twitter at SwitchedOnPop on Instagram at SwitchedOnPop and tell us your thoughts. What are you hearing? What are we missing? Are there more tea drops? Are there references to Taylor Swift songs past?
0: Like just there's no there's no shortage. So yeah. And then next week you have something super exciting, a piece you've been working on for many months now. What's going on?
1: Charlie, you know I'm a fan of the funk, and in our next episode I got to speak to Scary Pockets and Lizzie McAlpine, musicians who take pop hits and transform them into funk masterpieces and have found unprecedented viral success doing so. So that's going to be a really fun conversation that you won't.
0: Want to miss. And your voice, I'm sure, will be healed and beautiful and just it's a gorgeous lowest register, almost like a re I don't know what you're talking about. And until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Support for Switched On Pop comes from Stereophonic, Broadway's must experience new play. If you only see one thing on Broadway this year, make sure it's Stereophonic. Written by David Ajme, directed by Daniel Aachen, and featuring original music by Arcade Fire's Will Butler, the play follows a 1970s rock band on the verge of breaking down, breaking up, or breaking through. The New York Times, The New Yorker, and New York Magazine call it best of the year and Peter Marks of the Washington Post says, okay, I'll go there. Stereophonic is the best play of the year. Get your tickets at stereophonicplay.com fox.